Francisco 49ers. Kansas City versus San Francisco. They're both wear red and white, so if the colors are an issue, so let's just talk about it. So choose your city. Go go sports ball. Okay, Kansas City, raise your hands. All right. And and San Francisco. And how many of you are just going to pick the red and white team? All right, that'll work. Red and white team. So football is a great American sport, right? It's it's like the thing that we watch this time of year. It's it's like Christmas for sports. I don't know why, but it's great. So come for the come for the commercials if for nothing else. It's going to be good. So uh, my name is Jamie, and I'm one of the worship leaders. Obviously, there were several of us up here this morning, and I'm the one of the lead pastors. My wife and I co-pastor here together. And uh, so if you're a guest with us, welcome. And that's who I am. And this morning, we're going to start a new sermon series, which this is it right here, Better Together. Do you guys like this? These are all the things that are better together. We got butter and bread, gluten-free bread, of course, right? And we got hamburgers and fries. French fries kind of go with everything. Donuts and coffee, gluten-free donuts. Pigs and pineapple. Am I right? Pigs and pineapple go together? I, I think that they do. You have never had tacos al pastor, if you don't think pig and pineapple go together. Anyway, uh, bacon and eggs, in, in fairness, bacon could go with any of these. And, and salt and pepper, although bacon and extra salt's a little weird. I don't know. So we're going to be doing this new series. It's, it's called Better Together. It's a series on relationships. And the reason we're doing this, uh, we've been speaking, I've, we, me, me and this mouse in my pocket, have been, uh, been preaching for the last five weeks or so on the kind of the, some of the concepts around vision, like having an invitation from God and, and stepping out into it and being invited into what he has for your life and how you step forward in those things when they're really huge and scary sometimes or when you're facing giants that are telling you can't do or be this, that, or the other thing, whatever God has called you to be. Um, so as we were doing that, one of, the, one of the invitations that God made to me is just like revision, rethink about how we think and see as a church, re-listen to me for what I have for this church for the coming seasons ahead. And uh, so I began to listen and to pray, and, and God's laid some things on my heart, and the staff have been talking about them and planning around them for the last six months or so. And so I'm going to begin to share them with you. So jumping off of vision for your life, we're going to have vision for our church, and we're going to be working on this over the course of the year. So this is a, it's, it's mini sermon series. Does that make sense? We're going to do several sermon series, each tackling one of these points of vision for the church. And what vision is, is a, it's a preferred picture of the future, right? It's how we want to be. It's not necessarily who we are. It's not necessarily where we're at. This isn't hypocrisy or lying to say that we are these things just yet. This is where God is leading us and calling us. This is how God is shaping us and in some ways has already shaped us. So some of these things are already being birthed inside of us deep down at the roots and it's popping up here and there. And so to some degree, visioning for a church is just really looking out on a Sunday morning like this and go, what is God doing? What is, what is, what is he up to in these people? And then, and then looking at myself as one of the lead pastors, like, what is God doing in here? And what is God doing in Heidi and I? And what is the vision that he's calling us to? So the first point of vision that I have to share with you this morning is this, is that we would be a church that is living together as the new family of Jesus. Well, Janice has got excited about it. She's been listening to me kind of preach on this for a couple of months now, though. <laughs> She's like, hey, man, I was ready for that. So I'm going to say it again. You might want to write it down. might want to get a tattoo or something. I don't know. Like, you know. It's like several people that are thinking about tattoos right now, they're going to get this. It's, don't do it on your forehead, okay? Just don't. It's a forearm maybe. But we want to be a church that is living together, a community doing life together as the new family of Jesus. See, Jesus changes everything. I was expecting fully, like, this gigantic amen at that point. Like, I put it in the notes. It says pause for amen right here. And I, maybe I didn't inform you. So let me try that again. Jesus changes everything. There it is. That's true. Jesus changes everything. It changes how we live, how we act, what our values are, what our character is, what we care about, what we let go, how we forgive one another, whether we hold grudges or don't hold grudges. When Jesus comes into our life, it's, we're called born again. You guys familiar with that term? Yeah, Jesus says that anybody who would enter the kingdom of heaven would be born again. And we're born again, not into our family of origin, 
not to our moms and dads, because that's impossible. In fact, that's the story of Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus says to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And he says, how can I do that? Am I supposed to go back into my mom's womb? And Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works. You're born again spiritually. Your soul is rebirthed into this world, but into a new family. And in that family, we learn new ways of being, new habits, new ways of relating, new ways of speaking and treating each other. We learn to live as a part of the new family of Jesus. Relationships are the primary, primary element in a family, right? We relate to our mom and our dad. We relate to our grandma and our grandpa. We relate to our siblings. We relate to our spouse. Relationships is the core of what it is to be a family. And so at the very bottom line of all of this in this vision is, is this idea of relationships, which is what this series is going to be about. Better together. We are better together when we relate to each other as the new family of Jesus. You guys follow on me? Here's the, here's the thing. In this world, if anybody is going to ever meet Jesus, and they're ever going to be introduced to Jesus, and they're ever going to discover new birth in Jesus, it happens by meeting you. I'm going to let that sink in for half a second. It's not about evangelism. It's not about learning the gospel so well. It's not about preaching on a street corner. When somebody is going to meet Jesus, it happens when they meet you as a follower of Jesus, as a member of his new family. And Jesus is all about inviting new people into his family all the time. Every time you meet somebody, every time you encounter somebody, every time you talk to a kid at the high school, Doug, they're meeting Jesus. So the question is, what kind of relationship are you giving them? What kind of relationship are you offering? This church is the proving ground of our love. It's where we learn to relate as the new family of Jesus and where we learn to take those skills out into the world to offer them to other people. Where we learn to live and to love like Jesus did. We talk about loving well. That's what this is about. It's how we love each other face to face. It's the gym where we build love muscles, right? Not love handles, love muscles. I hate that I just grabbed my love handle in front of all of you. I am 45 next week. I'm allowed to have them. It comes to the territory. But here's the thing. If, Jesus, if, if, the, if the Jesus that people meet is you and me, we need to be formed by Jesus. We need to be shaped by Jesus. But the reality is that very often, as we say in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality courses, we're more shaped and formed by Grandpa than we are by Jesus. Jesus may be living in your heart, but Grandpa is living in your bones. It's in there. And no matter how hard we try on our own, we can't just act like Jesus. We can't just love like Jesus. We have to learn. We have to exercise. We have to practice, and we do it here in this context. We do it in our families. We do it with our spouses, our husbands, or our wives. We do it with our next-door neighbor. We do it with people that, that are not like us. We, we learn to love our enemies by loving the people that are closest to us. Do you know sometimes it's easier to love your enemy than it is to love the person that's in your own home? Right? Your enemy's just annoying on his own, on his own time, but you don't have to see him all that often, but you have to see your spouse every day. You have to see your neighbor every day. You have to see your kids every day. So we got to learn to love like Jesus does in those contexts. So this series is actually kind of a series on marriage. We're going to use marriage as the basis of it, but I don't want to lose all my single folks either because uh, God has something for you in this as well. We're going to look at the marriage relationship, and there's going to be things to apply across the board for all of us. Here's the deal. In the world, our relationships are messed up, right? Just think about it. In the world, not the new family of Jesus, not what God is creating, but in the world— we're still right around a 50% divorce rate. Primary covenant relationship, the thing that God put together, instituted in Genesis 1. Well, not Genesis 1, Genesis 3. Sorry. He puts this together and it models God's depth of love and commitment to the world. And we see out in this world that that has just been shattered. 50% divorce rate in the world. And it's not a lot better in the church. It's getting a little better, 
But what we see is the new family of Jesus is looking a lot like the world in that one primary relationship of love and depth and commitment that God would have is being shattered and broken and scattered. And it's not just marriage. It's even in singles as well. There was a USA Today report this last uh, couple months ago that said 8 out of 10 people are enduring toxic relationships, toxic friendships, friendships that are making you unhealthy, friendships that are bringing you down, man, friendships that are hurting your heart, friendships that are not making you able to live and love well. You're enduring toxic relationships. Singles, you're meant to reflect God's love to the world as a part of the new family of Jesus by showing the breadth of God's love. Like, I can have friends with lots of people. I can have deep friends with lots of people. You're meant to show his, the breadth of his love. And you're also meant to show his devotion as you show devotion to God and purity. We all want something better than what we see in the world and than what we've received ourselves many times. I want something better for my kids. So I've worked hard at being a healthy human being for my kids. I want something better for my spouse. So I work hard at being a a well-rounded human that loves well for my spouse. I still fail a lot. Don't, don't Don't hear me saying I'm perfect at this. But we all want something better. We want something better for our neighbors, our grandkids. We want to we want to have something better than what we received. And it, you can see it, like in in kids today, you know, you little kids. You know, how many of you were, were ladies were, were the type of little girl that dreamed of your wedding day? Like you had the dress planned out in your head. You heard the the music. You had the music, but you, had, you knew who your bridesmaids were when you were seven. These people that you guys know these sorts of you know, got a few people nudging each other and like wiggling, yeah. That's what women do. We dream of something better. We, this fairyland. We I said we <laughs> to that. We do this. We never did that as a woman. The mouse in my pocket is a woman. Um, and men. When we think about weddings and marriages, let's just be honest. Most of us think about sex twice a day, and we're still dreaming, right? It's still waiting on those things, these things that we think are better, these ideals that are not formed by Jesus. They're formed by the world. They're formed by idealism. We got to get real. I believe that great marriage and awesome, committed singleness is possible. It's not likely but it is possible in this world. And the only way that we do that is if we learn to live in the new family of Jesus and live a life that is different than everybody else. That's what it's going to take to have a marriage like nobody else's, like Dave Ramsey says, uh, have finances like no one else. You've got to live like no one else. To be a single person that has this awesome, fulfilling life that is life transformation, transforming for people around you, you've got to live like nobody else. So we got to learn to live in the new family of Jesus. I want something better for you and for me. You want something better for you and hopefully for me. But I believe even more deeply that God wants something better than what we see in this world. So to get there, we need to invest in building these healthy relationships. When Heidi and I got married, uh, there was this moment in our wedding ceremony. Uh, it's the covenant moment. You guys familiar with the covenant moment? As a pastor, I lead these sermons. Or these, uh, we lead wedding ceremonies. There's the word I'm looking for, not wedding sermons, wedding ceremonies. And so there's the part where we're familiar with is the covenant. It, covenant is it's a commitment between two people. It's a commitment that, that goes beyond like a rental agreement. So a rental agreement you, you, you sign this agreement, and it says, okay, the landlord has all the responsibility, and I have all the rights, right? I have a right to a, a working stove. I have a right to a working microwave, and if those things aren't there, then he has to fix it. He's responsible, and I have the rights. In a covenant, we lay down our rights and lift up commitments, and we say, I lay down my rights, and I take on responsibility. And so there's a moment in every med- uh, wedding ceremony, at least the ones I lead, where we say something Along this, along these lines, I, Jamie, take you, Heidi, to be my lawfully wedded wife. That's really hard to say, even after 20 years. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for sickness, or in health, forsaking all others, being faithful to you as long as we both shall live, until death do us part. I do. Do you still? 
20 years, the end of this month, ladies and gentlemen, and she still said, I do. That was it. That was literally a smattering of applause. So what a covenant says is that the past is past, and from this day forward, things are going to be different. Before this moment, I didn't have to forsake all others. I could choose to walk away from this relationship and choose other people. But no, in this moment, I covenant with you until death we do part, forsaking all others. From this moment forward, I'm going to be different. And this series is an invitation to all of us, whether we are single or married or we want to be married someday, to make a commitment to God to walk in such a way, to be a part of his family, to have a covenant with him, and that being our new birth. The commitments that we make to God in the midst of this and being the new family of Jesus, there's five of them, and that's what we're going to be talking about over these next five weeks, including today. Number one is to seek God. The first commitment, first covenant we do, from this day forward, God, I commit to seek you. I'm going to be a member of your family. I'm going to be a I'm going to be a covenant member of the new family of Jesus, so I seek you first. The secondly is we learn to fight fair. If we're going to give the world something different, we've got to learn to do it differently right here between us. So we're going to learn to fight fair. Then we need to learn to have fun because Christians are really boring and, and stuffy sometimes. Guys, there's, there's other pastors have said this, and I read it recently somewhere, and I cannot remember who it was. It's totally gone, but he said, if Christians are going to be the light of the world, we've got to get the sadness out of the church. It's time for the church to start standing up and being joyful again. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The peace that passes understanding lives in our hearts, and so we can walk in happiness and in faith and in joy and in goodness and all things. We don't have to walk somber and, and in solitude all the time. Now, solitude's good. It helps our souls. But, man, we should be happy. We should have fun. So come to whatever the heck this Valentine's party is being called now. This is what it's all about. This is... They changed the name again. Here, I'll give you another one. The Valentine's Party, not Valentine's Party. I mean, it's like whatever you want it to be, come. We're going to have fun together. That's all it's about. And Valentine's is an excuse. There'll probably be a little chalk candy there for you. Um, so that's the third one. Fourth one is this, that we would stay pure. We would stay pure. Singles, those who want to be married and those who are married, would work with the partnering with the Holy Spirit to remain pure in our hearts, minds, spirits, so that we aren't defiling the relationship that we have with one another, that we aren't introducing things that break relationship in the new family of Jesus. And lastly, it's tenacity. Never give up. Never give up. Till death do us part. I'm not quitting. Till, till I get in the kingdom of heaven in, in face-to-face with Jesus, I'm not quitting. I ain't quitting. I ain't giving up. I'm fighting. I'm going through. I'm, I'm seeking God with all of my heart. I'm fighting fair. I'm loving my neighbor well. I'm having fun in the process. It isn't just all work. I'm staying pure because I've got my eyes on Jesus, and I'm not giving up until I get there. So for this stuff to happen, we're going we're gonna to focus on number one, seek God. As the new family of Jesus, the invitation to you this morning is to seek God. Matthew chapter 22, if you want to open your Bible there real fast. You have to be quick because I should have told you earlier because we're going to get there. Matthew 22, and I'm going to read one of the most familiar texts, and it will also be up on the screen behind me, apparently. I did make that. Uh, there it is. Um, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. You will all be familiar with this, so let's just say it out loud together. If you need to read it from your Bible or read it from here, that's fine. But would you say, read this with me? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at your neighbor and say, don't tell me what to do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're not the boss of me. So this scripture is a scripture we know, right? You guys have heard me preach this passage so many times. It's just like last Sunday, like what I said. You're waiting for me to give you a new sermon, and it's not going to happen until we get the old one, okay? We can't move on until we get this. This is not—we get this in our heads. We get this great ideal. We're like, yeah, that guy was asking Jesus, how does he get to heaven? And he's like, well, how do you read the law? And he's like, love the Lord your God. I mean, this guy's so proud of his answer, and we're so proud of this answer. Like, this is the point of church. Love Jesus with everything you've got. 
Love him wholeheartedly. Love everyone always. We got it right on the front of the church. You would be surprised at people's response to those posters as they walk by. They walk, and then they start kind of leaning like this as they're going by, and then they turn around and come back. And they go, hey, look at this. Love everybody always. Well, that's a cool idea. And they keep walking on. Then they look, and they say, come back the other direction. They're like, oh, look at that. Love Jesus wholeheartedly. What's that mean? Who's Jesus? I don't know. It's like, it's outside. We're in here loving Jesus wholeheartedly. We're in here loving everyone always. And they're staying out there. We got to get out there, folks, and start loving everyone always. We can't move on from this passage until we get it. This is the base text for all of our relationships. This is the base text for how we do life as the new family of Jesus. And I'm going to say it this way. It's really interesting. You look at it, and you're like, okay, how do I love my neighbor as myself? That's not even the point of the passage. The point is the order in which it gives it to us. God is your one. Say that. God is my one. God is my one. It starts with love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. It doesn't say love your pastor, although it's a good idea. It doesn't say love your spouse. It doesn't say love your children. It doesn't say love your singleness. It doesn't say love your apartment space. It doesn't say love your bank accounts. It doesn't even say love your neighbor. It says love the Lord your God first. God is our one. That's really good preaching. I I don't know. I feel like it needs an amen. Just kind of saying. I'm like... They're here. They're all thinking, when did the Chiefs start playing? When does that, who was the red and white team again? I don't remember. Should I wear red or white? I don't know. No one, nothing else, God and God alone first. Now, a lot of married people, though, live like our spouse is one or our kids. This is a big deal in our culture that our kids are number one. I would love to sit down with an engaged young woman or young man and just for once hear them say something like, oh, man, he's so great. We just connect. We click. Like, it's like our relationship's firing on all cylinders. He's so perfect. He's my two. Not my one. My two. Because you know what? None of us will be fulfilled in this life if we're looking to one another to fulfill our life. None of us will be fulfilled until we meet the one. Single people, let me say this to you. Don't live for two. Live every moment for your one. Live every moment for your one. Live every moment for God. Don't waste your singleness. Now, it sounds like I'm saying, oh, marriage is pretty hard. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you're free. You're free to love all sorts of people and love them in a godly way by staying pure, to love them while devoted to God. Make God your one and let that one transform your world. Don't waste your singleness. You were designed by God for God and for his mission in this world, not your needs, not your wants, and not your mission. That goes for all of us. You were made for the one and not for your two. She completes me. No, she doesn't. God completes you. And you will always be incomplete until you have received him. Married people, God is your one. It doesn't say love your spouse with all your heart. It doesn't say love your neighbor with all your heart. It says love God. Married people, we talk like it's the best path in the world that our spouses complete us, and it's totally wrong. And we give the wrong idea to single people. And what we are doing is we are idolizing our spouses, and it's not fair. It's not fair to our spouse because they can't take the place of God. That's what an idol is. It's when we lift something up above God. We say, oh, look how amazing it is. She's so beautiful. She's so amazing. She's so awesome until she messes up, right? And then suddenly your idol comes crashing down, and your relationship is in shambles. The one that will not disappoint is Jesus. If you want a great marriage— if you want successful kids, you want financial blessing as a single person, if you want to leave a legacy, you want to make an eternal difference, don't seek those things first. Seek God. And that's biblical. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. 
We've been formed by grandpa, right? Grandpa's in our bones, so we're chasing the things that grandpa chased after. We're chasing after financial security. We're chasing after wealth, and, and we're chasing after peace, and we're chasing after you know, transformation and difference in the world, and all these things, which some of these things are great. There's nothing wrong with them. But we seek them before we seek God. They become an idol. Jesus says, seek him first, not those things, because they will disappoint, but he never will. Now, some of you are saying, okay, marriage, you're still talking about marriage, and I'm not married yet. My advice to you is to seek the one and prepare for your two. Seek the one and prepare for your two. You're like, yeah, I think I think it's a good idea. I just want to marry the the right guy, and I I want I want that guy to be you know stable and secure. And I want that guy to be financially stable. But in the meantime, I'm going to go to all the parties. I'm going to get drunk on the weekends. I'm going to sleep around. I'm a party girl. That's what who I am. Let me tell you something. The kind of guy you're looking for doesn't want the kind of girl you're being. The kind of guy you're looking for is looking for a girl that loves Jesus with all of his heart, all of her heart. You want a marriage like no other? You want to be prepared for your two. Start being the sort of person that the sort of person you want to marry wants to marry. Become the type of person that you want to marry. And then the second thing I would say to you is this. Find somebody who loves God more than you and hold on to them with everything you got because they're going to take you to the throne. They're going to take you to Jesus. All of us, whether we are married now or not married or single or committed to be single for the rest of our lives, good choice. Some of you could choose that. Serious. Be devoted to Jesus for the rest of your life and serving, forsaking all others. Is that like a monk or a nun? That's a good choice. But all of us are going to get married someday. All of us are going to get married someday. Revelation gives us this picture of the marriage feast of the Lamb where the Son of God marries all of humanity. And it's a big party. And you are all going to be there. And you're not just there as guests. You're there as the bride, even the guys. I know you're going to, like, I don't want to wear a dress. It's okay. Yeah, he's going to get his hair done. We are all getting married to Jesus. So start being the kind of people that Jesus wants to marry. I heard a pastor uh, share a vision that he had a number of years ago. He was really disillusioned with the church. He had been serving for a long time, and he'd just been beat up and hurt by people over and over again. And people were angry with him and didn't like his vision and didn't like what he wanted to do with this, that, or the other thing. And he was just like, ah. And he began to pray, and he's like, Jesus, this church is just, oh, they're just beating me up, and I'm just, I should just leave. I should just give up. And, and Jesus, like, taps him on his shoulder, and, like, it was a physical moment. And he sat up, and he looked around, and he's like, I wasn't in my office anymore. I was in a chapel. And I looked around, and it was a wedding. And I'm like, whose wedding is this, Jesus? He goes, this is my wedding. And he goes, come on with me. And so they walk down to the front of the aisle, and they're standing down front. You know how they do that at the wedding? The music goes, and the, 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 the pastor and, the, and the, the, the person getting married comes down to the front, and they're standing there. And he's like, so who are you marrying, Jesus? This is exciting. And he says, look. And he says, and I looked up the aisle, and I saw the ugliest woman I had ever seen in my life. Didn't expect that, did you? He said, she was hideous. She was warts all over her face. Her hair was at odd angles. Her dress was just like it had been run through the mud. She was filthy and stinking. There was flies all around her. And he goes, Jesus, you can't marry that. And Jesus says, just watch. And the music started going, and this bride began walking down the aisle. And as she got closer with every step, she got more beautiful. And so when she was standing before this congregation, she was pure and spotless. And he said, I get it. I get it. We are all going to be married. And we may be at the back of the aisle. We may be somewhere in the middle. I'm not even going to say that I'm anywhere near the front. But we're moving toward Jesus, and we're being transformed as we move toward him. As we make God our one we become more and more like the person that he wants to marry. We do that by seeking God. Seeking God. And some of you are like, I don't want, I'm never going to get married, except for in that moment with Jesus. I just want to encourage you, this is kind of like a side note, find some other people to seek the one with. Find some people to be your spiritual companions, to walk with you. There's a lot of people in the Bible. Some of them were single and some of them were married, but they all had these spiritual companions. Moses had Jethro. 
kind of name is Jethro? I don't know. It's his father-in-law of all people. But Jethro helped him as he walked. David had Jonathan, his best friend and encourager. Jesus had John, the disciple. There's all through the Bible, you see spiritual companions. If you're a single person, you're committed to being single for the rest of your life, or you're just single now and you're waiting to be married someday, find spiritual companions to help you walk the aisle toward Jesus. Some of you are also saying, I'm married, but I'm not married to a believing spouse. And I just want to acknowledge that's super hard. It really is. In fact, that's why we encourage people who are getting married to, that are Christians to marry another Christian because it does not get easier. It is hard. It's painful. And asking them to seek the one with you is asking them to do something they're not capable of. It's impossible. It's hard, though. As married people tend to, Christian married people will idolize their spouse and say they fulfill me. Non-Christian people can have a tendency of demonizing their spouse. And I want to encourage you to look at your spouse, your non-believing spouse, as Jesus looks at them, as a work in progress, as somebody he is loving, that he is coming to, that he is working in, that he is speaking to at all times. And you're just partnering with Jesus in that work. And it's going to be long, and it's going to be painful. And I want to say, stick with it. Don't ever, ever give up. Because Jesus loves them. So how do we seek God together? How do we do this as a church? How do we do this as couples? How do we do this as single people with our spiritual companions? There's no silver bullet to finding God. It's not worship. It's not a great message. It's not the best devotional ever written. It's not a certain Bible translation. There is no silver bullet to God. But if there was one, it would be this from 1 Chronicles 28, where Moses says to the people, he says, Seek him, and you will find him. If you seek him, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. Wholeheartedly going after God is the only way that we ever find him. If you're looking for a great deal on golf clubs, you can probably find one. If you're looking for the best pizza in town, you can find it. If you're looking for a place to get your nails done, I suppose that's even possible too. If you lose your car keys, maybe you won't find them, but if you seek them, you got the best chance of finding them. It's like playing the lottery, right? It's like playing the lottery. If you don't, if you don't play, you can't win. We seek God. And the more important it is, the more important the thing is that we're after, the harder we seek, the harder we search. So we search after God. We seek after him with our own, with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. I, I brought a toy with me. Many of you have been wondering why I brought this. Um, I bought this this week just for this sermon. And then my kids wanted to play with it and break it. It's a slinky. You guys like slinkies? Slinkies. Oh, amen. I got an amen for a slinky. So there's this guy. His name is Augustine or Augustine or St. Augustine or St. Augustine. I don't know how you want to say it. I like Augustine. It works for me. Um, and he, had, he said this about ourselves. In terms of seeking God and seeking and, and loving others, he said the problem of sin is that sin has bent us toward ourselves. Like the slinky, when you, let's see if we move stuff so you can all see. See, when I, I lift it and I bend it over, it's been bent. Ah, oh, man, I knew this wasn't going to work very well. I can't hold the mic and do it. When you bend it and you move it, all of its energy moves toward the thing it's bent toward, right? We're bent toward ourselves. Sin has bent us toward ourselves. So we look for our best. We look for our good. We look for our fulfillment. We look for what we want. The work of God in new birth in you is to bend you toward God, to bend you in the right way. And when he bends you and you are bent toward God, your energy moves toward God like the slinky moves toward God. Does that make sense? Did that illustration work? Good. Now you're all going to go by a slinky and you say, I'm going to be bent toward God, right? I want to be bent toward God. Seeking God, being bent toward him, is not a, a program. It's not uh, a thing you sign up for, but it is a way of life. It's things that are it's woven into everything. And we've been saying the way to do this is to slow down as a church. Say slow down. Okay, I'll talk a lot slower. No, slow down. And we don't say just slow down. 
What we're saying is to slow down so that you can be with Jesus. Slow down to abide in Christ. Slow down to have an intimate, deep relationship with Jesus. See, abiding in Jesus, which I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me as I am in you. Jesus says this, or we we say it this way. Abiding is the act of allowing Jesus and his will, not just your will, but not just Jesus, but his will to have full access to your life through a posture of attentiveness, listening, openness. I'm ready to hear what you have, and I will follow you where you send me. And surrender. I give up. It's your will, not mine. We slow down to have that kind of relationship with Jesus. That's seeking God with all of our heart. That's wholehearted life where we have full access. Jesus has full access to us. And the good news is it goes both ways. It's reciprocity. Jesus has full access to us, and we have full access to him. How do you do that as a family? How do you do that as a married couple? How do you do that as a single person with your spiritual companions? Number one, pray. Pray. Prayer is participating in a conversation with God. It puts God first when we pray before, during, and after things. Uh, family Life, it's a, it's a Christian organization. They surveyed thousands of Christian couples, and they found that fewer than 8% of them pray regularly. And of those that do, of those that pray, couples that pray in their home in all sorts of different ways. It's not just, you know, on your knees at your bed or something. All sorts of different ways. Less than 1% of Christians who pray together get divorced. You know why that is? It's really hard to stay mad at somebody you pray for. It's really hard to be angry with somebody when you're blessing them in prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... Then I will turn my face, and I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. The land may be your marriage, maybe your friendships, it may be your family of origin. God is seeking to heal you. So pray. Pray intentionally in your family. It may be intimidating to some of you to do this. And so let me say, make it really easy for you. Just start at dinner. Like, dinner time is like this race. To, in their kitchen, you're cooking, you're getting everybody. The kids are like, is it dinner time yet? Is it dinner time yet? Is it dinner time yet? You're like, no, not yet. No, yet, yet. And you get it all done, and they're like, okay, it's dinner time. And before you can sit down at the table, the kids have eaten all the food and scuppered, right? <laughs> I just used the word scuppered. I love that word. That's like dinner time. Make a point to say, wait, put your fork down. We say this all the time in my house. Put your fork down. Sometimes they're talking to me. And then we pray. And it's like, it's small prayer. It doesn't have to be big, but you know what we're doing? We're saying God's in the middle of this. This meal, God's present at it. This isn't, this isn't something we're doing isolated from our faith. It's a part of who we are. So do it, at, do it at dinner time. Pray in bed. You know, as you're going to sleep, pray for your spouse in your mind. Pray out loud, however you want to do it. Text somebody or email them a prayer to a friend. Write a note. It doesn't matter how you do it. Just do it. Pray. It's hard to pray for people that you're mad at, and you can't divorce somebody that you're praying with. It's difficult to have an affair when you're seeking God together. Another way that we do this in our family is to Sabbath together. We had a chance to do this yesterday. Sabbath is a 24-hour period where we stop our work, we rest, we delight in what God has given us, and we contemplate God's goodness throughout the day. When we give our family Sabbath, you know what we're doing? I'm telling my kids, you know what? It's not what you do that makes you valuable. It's not your chores. It's not my work. It's not my earning power. It's not my ability to speak or preach that makes me valuable and worthy. It's God's love and God's love alone. So we seek God by taking a whole day to stop and say, God, I just received your love today. I'm seeking you. I'm giving you space. I'm contemplating. This day is not just a day off. A day off is a bastard Sabbath because it, it doesn't have God involved. We contemplate. It's Genesis 1. It says it's a Sabbath unto the Lord. It might be Sunday. Great way to do this is to come to church. Most of us need to come to church. I need to come to church. I am a better Christian when I'm at church, even if I'm preaching and leading worship. I'm a lousy Christian without church. Some of us need to listen to music. Some of us need to paint. Some of us need to play a game. But whatever it is we need to do, we need to recognize God is in the midst of it. And I'm seeking him with all my heart. And I'm going to be thankful and joyful and say, God, thank you for giving me this. 
The last way that we can seek God together, so the first one is to pray. The second one is try a Sabbath as a family or as friends. You can do that as a single person. The third one is this, to provoke one another. I went to a sermon on marriage today, and he told me to provoke you. I could just say amen, and we could go home at this point, but I feel like I should probably explain. Hebrews 10.24 is one of my absolute favorite Bible verses. It says this, to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Don't provoke each other to anger. I do that all the time, right? I don't need anybody telling me that. Provoke each other, somebody to, to irritation. Provoke your kids to exasperation. I'm good at that. But to provoke my kids to love and good deeds, to provoke my wife to love and good deeds, to provoke you to love and good deeds, that's God's highest calling. We provoke one another. We encourage each other. It doesn't look like church all the time. It's not just gathering in seats and listening to some Yahoo preach at you. It's, it's, it's take, take a Jesus-seeking. I don't even know. Take, oh, there it is. Take a Jesus-seeking class together. Give a gift that encourages somebody. Heidi, for Christmas, gave me a journal, not like a writing journal, but like a spiritual journal that had a bunch of articles in it, and I'm reading them slowly over time, and it encourages my faith, and it encourages our relationship. I gave her a devotional. Uh, It's from Bob Goff. It's really cool, and it sits on the dining room table, and in the mornings, I get up, and I see sometimes she's reading it. Actually, it's the other way around. I get up, and I'm eating, and then she gets up and comes in and reads it, but it's just kind of a wake-up thing. It's encouraging her faith. And I read them too, and my faith is encouraged. We're provoking one another to love and good deeds. Tim Keller said that the vision of marriage is this, the vision of love in marriage, Christian love, is that we would stand before God. And I think this is for all of us, whether we're married or not, that you would look at the person next to you, and when we, suddenly you're just standing before God, and you're looking at him, and you say, oh, that's, I, I always knew you would be like this. This is, this is what I always saw in you. This is what I've been trying to encourage all of these years. I've been saying, you, you're so wonderful. God is so good to you. God has done these. This is your gifts. These are, this is how God's growing, and I've seen it. And now we stand before Jesus, and I just saw it a little bit back then, but now I see it fully. And man, look at you. Look at you. That's the vision of love, and that's why we provoke one another. We provoke one another toward what God has for us. So my question for you this day I want to ask, let's see, there's a number of questions. So for those who are, who are married, I want to invite you to ask this question. How can I serve my two today? How can I provoke them to love and good deeds? How can I lay down my life in such a way that I honor God and to serve you, to lift you up? I want to encourage the married people to think about this for one second. What would it look like for you to grab hands with your two and to never stop seeking the one together? For the single people, what would it look like for you to find some spiritual companions to grab hands with, to seek the one with, to never give up, to pursue Jesus with all you have? What would it look like? So my question to ponder in silence is this. Singles, who is or are your two? Who are the people that you can gather around you to seek the one with? And for marrieds, what's one thing that you would like to try this week to seek the one with your two? Let's take a minute and think about that. And at the end of that minute, the worship team is going to come up, and we're going to close in a song.
Thank you for your kindness. And thank you that you accept us and that we can pursue you no matter how far down the aisle we seem to be from you. No matter how wounded or broken our spirits are, you called us to be born again in you and to learn to live in your family as new members of the new family of Jesus. So God, we commit this morning to pursue you with all that we have and to grab hands with our twos from all over this room and to pursue you with all of our hearts. God, we pray that you would encounter us in those gatherings, that you would encounter us as we follow you and pursue you. Give us strength, God, to follow you with all that we have, to be wholehearted followers of Jesus. In your name, amen. Would you stand with us?
Jesus, we just thank you, God, for your goodness and for your love for us. We thank you above all things you love us. It's not our behavior. It's not our earning it. It's not uh, what we even deserve. It's not our looks or our voices, but it's just us that you've created us to love. And we thank you for that. Lord, we want to reflect back to you and turn to you and to love you as best we can. So God, help us to walk in the fullness of that. Jesus, as we commit to you, as we covenant with you, Lord, we pray that you would give us the power to walk in that covenant. God, we are, we are weak, and so we need your strength. God, we are, are faithless at times, and so we need you to build our faith. Lord God, pour your spirit in us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, knowing that he loves you. If you heard nothing else this morning, Jesus loves you. In this church, Heidi and I love you. We love one another. Walk in his grace and goodness this week. We'll see you here for the football game at 3 o'clock. The sports ball game. Sports ball.